Hi, Jennifer. Hi, Atticus. Uh, sorry I didn't answer the phone when you called. Things have been crazy. They always are with you. Yeah, uh, I guess so. So, did you want to talk to me about something? Yeah, Jen, I... I really like you. Liked you. Oh. I felt like we had a real connection. I, I don't know. I hadn't felt anything like that before. Me too. Sure, yeah, but it was really hard not hearing from you. Like, really hard. I was ready to fly to California for Thanksgiving. All I needed was just to hear something from you. Some affirmation. Atticus, I... And then I met Betty. Betty? Yeah, and I don't want to do anything to screw this up, you know? So, like, I think, I think Betty's worth it. I gotta give this my all. Give it the best chance for success. I'm falling in love with her. Yeah? Yeah, but... Then you call out of the blue. If it was another time, uh, a month or so ago, then sure, I'd be super excited just to hear your voice, just to talk. Not even talking about relationships or anything like that. Just to talk to you. But now, with the emotions I had for you, I, I just don't think it'd be right for you or me or Betty especially if we keep talking. You see what I'm saying? You don't want to even talk to me? Look... When I got your letter and you told me you kissed that other dude, that kind of broke my heart, Jen. Atticus, it wasn't like that. That was just an accident. No, Jen, no. And it doesn't matter. I'm sorry I brought it up. It doesn't matter who you kissed or didn't kiss. I guess I'm just saying that as closure. I'm sure you'll find someone who's perfect for you. Right now, for me, I'm betting that person is Betty. Gosh, I'm sorry. This conversation went way better in my head. I... I don't know what to say. We'll keep in touch. Will we? Because I think you just said that even talking on the phone is too much. Yeah. Well, what do you want me to say, Atticus? I'll miss you. I'll miss you too, Jen. Goodbye. Bye. Solve the world. Fictional adventure told in 100 episodes. Episode 41 Conversion. Welcome to the Druidry. In this case, you're welcomed by the eager leprechaun, excited you're here finally. He pulls you by the hand like an excited kindergartner on the first day of class. He explains to you that tonight they're going to quote, and do it, whatever that means. He promises you'll get a first-hand view of, of whatever the process of undoing it is. The center itself is something of a marvel. Past the front doors in the parking lot, your first thought is on how it feels, physically. The floor below your feet is not wood laminate or carpet or any sort of common flooring that you'd expect at a welcoming center. It's mulch, ground up tree bark. It feels odd underneath your feet, but you have to admit, the woodsy scent wafting up is quite delightful. The building is sprawling. 
It spreads out into five or six different wings. At the moment, the building's absolutely bubbling with activity and just a general sense of life. There's all sorts of people mulling around. You spot at least a dozen white-collar American-looking businessmen who appear more ready for a big merger meeting than a hippie cult gathering. There's also indigenous people. You think one gentleman, sparsely clad in a tribal leotard, must be a Zulu. And another pot of people could very well be real African pygmies. There's others, too. Uncategorizable others. You try not to focus on them. Your hyper leprechaun buddy takes you to an outside foyer. It's something like an amphitheater, but rather than a stage, at the centermost point, there's a large, many-tendrilled tree. That's where we undo it, tonight. On closer inspection, this tree isn't just a tree. It happens to be a tree growing out of a massive stump. You assumed at first glance that it was a platform that the tree was growing out of, but no ma'am. The tree has sprouted, grown, whatever, out of a previous tree stump. A massive tree stump. The stump itself has to be 25 feet in diameter, maybe more. The tree that this stump must have once been, this thing that lurched out of this humongous base, must have been the largest tree on Earth. The fully formed tree stump that is now coming out of the base stump is maybe 8 feet in diameter. No slouch itself, but to imagine what this thing once was. The leprechaun takes you past the amphitheater, past a large chicken den and chicken yard, past rows and rows of vegetable gardens. You suspect that those who live at the center live off the land, live off the chickens and vegetables in full view now. You think that's rather noble. There's a barn and beside it, a fenced yard. In the yard, a few dozen goats and sheep and cows roam, mingling about with no particular agenda. Your attention is fixated on what appears to be maybe a yak lying in the shadow of the barn. Such a hairy, large thing. But the leprechaun has a specific path for you two, and he's not dilly-dallying. You follow the fence line until you reach a goat that's tied to the fence. It's a young thing, surely no more than a year old. It's got a brown spot on the top of its head, between its two eyes. Why are goats' eyes always so evil-looking? Besides the brown spot, the creature is perfectly snow-white. The leprechaun pats the goat on its head with his skinny, pointy digits. The goat lovingly pushes in on the hand, clearly enjoying being pet. This one's for me. What do you mean, you reply. My sacrifice. It gives its life for me. What? Tonight. You'll see. You're gonna kill it? It's always a cost. A few minutes later and you're back in the welcome center. There are still bundles of people walking to and fro without any real sense of direction or purpose. The crowd here isn't wholly dissimilar to the outside yard of sheep and goats and cows, you can't help but think. Everyone, man and beast alike, is just idling along, passing time here aimlessly. This thought should bother you, should get under your skin, but it doesn't. Not now, not today, not after Atticus further. While you're thinking of Atticus, a little girl walks up to you. She reminds you of yourself, though in truth you don't much recall what you looked like when you were six or seven years old. May I see your mobile, please? The little girl asks you. What manners, you think? You may, 
You respond and hand your junk phone to her. The little girl grabs it out of your hand, puts both her hands around it, and, just like that, hands it back to you. The girl turns and walks away, dissolving into the crowd. Your leprechaun friend has disappeared, and you're left holding the phone in your hand, trying to comprehend what just happened. She's an anti-electronics person, a good-looking man says to you. Excuse me, you say, peering into the handsome man's chocolate eyes. Ever since she was born, if she touches electronics, they short out. You look up at the tall man, at least five inches taller than you, with non-understanding. You can throw it away. It's as good as dead now. Uh, I don't... If you're gonna stay here, Mama Beck doesn't allow electronics anyway. So it's just as well. My... My phone doesn't work? You jam your fingers on the screen trying to get the phone to light up, to turn on. Nothing. The little girl killed your phone. I'm Marshall Winston, resident skeptic. You shake Marshall's outstretched hand. It's ridiculously cold, but yet still strong and inviting. You momentarily flinch with bashfulness, realizing your hand is quite warm and clammy. It's uh, common practice to introduce yourself. Right, yeah, uh, sorry. I just I can't believe that little girl just freaked out my phone. Your name? Uh, Je- Jennifer. Jennifer Firth. Ah, so it's your first day. How'd you know? You look around amongst all the passers-by in the busy corridor, trying to spot a general difference between you and everyone else. Trying to see if you're distinctly different. If you're distinctly first day. You have a normal name. Level ones and higher tend to have weird names. Uh... Your name is normal, you say bluntly. That's because my role here is, as previously stated, resident skeptic. If I'm recalling correctly, I'm the only one around here that got to keep their native-born name. So, you get assigned a name? That's part of the level one initiation. You haven't met Mama Beck yet, have you? No, who is she? Mama Beck and Father Beck are the only level sevens right now. (laughs) What does that mean? We expect Fodderbeck to graduate to level eight sometime next year. Level seven is the highest plateau you can have here and stay at the camp. You believe in all this? (laughs) Of course not. You're a little slow, aren't you? Um, no? I told you twice already, now thrice. I'm the resident skeptic. Yeah, but I don't know what that means. A skeptic is someone who practices skepticism. Merriam-Webster's defines skepticism as an attitude of doubt or incredulity, either in general or toward a particular object. Did you really just quote the dictionary at me? (sighs) I have a photographic memory. Come. Follow Marshall Winston through a maze of lives as you beeline past a partially outdoor sanctuary. You push past a door that enters into a coliseum-style classroom, fully furnished with levels of chairs facing a large chalkboard. Beside the board, two people stand at the center of a mob, 20 or so weirdos hanging around them. You follow Marshall Winston to the center of the weirdos. Jennifer Firth... This is Mama Beck. Mama Beck looks to you to be of Indian heritage. Her features dark, her cheeks round and red, her hair brown and long. But the most immediate feature of Mama Beck is her size. She stands seven feet tall, and without being noticeably overweight, stands nearly as wide as she is tall. Upon being introduced, Mama Beck opens her arms to you. You fall into her, your face smashed between her large bosoms. The freaks surrounding Mama Beck are watching you, exhilarated. 
Mama Beck wordlessly brushes the back of your head while you embrace. You can't help it. Your eyes water. You don't know why. You don't feel emotional, but silently a tear rolls down your cheek. After this moment, Mama Beck pulls you back from her bosom far enough to inspect you, to stare into your eyes. She has glistening hazel brown eyes. She smiles at you broadly. The smile makes her round cheeks somehow even rounder, almost like spheres waiting to be pulled off of her face like taffy. A little man standing beside Mama Beck speaks up. Hello, I'm... Adela. He shakes your hand. He looks the polar opposite of Mama Beck. Short, skinny, he's wearing blue goggles, as well as a pair of reading glasses on top of the goggles. Hi, I'm Jennifer Firth, you say. Not for long, I bet. You're Tim Pantan's friend. Who? The Leprechaun. We named him yesterday. Oh, yeah. Uh, I came to see his ceremony or something? Good. Good. Well, you're just in luck then. Mama Beck tells me we've been waiting for you. There's a temporary level one class that's starting, oh, probably right now. Marshal Winston, would you take the young lady over to the Temp Hall K4? Yes, ma'am. Follow Marshall out of the room, back into the milieu of the marauding corridors. Why did you say yes ma'am to that man? You ask Marshall as the two of you walk. <sighs> hold my hand, would you? You do so. You hold Marshall's cold hand as you walk. You'll get less eyes if you're holding my hand. What? Why would that be? Marshall ignores your most recent question, and instead he answers your previous inquiry. When Adela speaks, he speaks for Mama Beck. I was answering her, not him. Oh. Does Mama Beck not speak? Supposedly, she speaks through the power of the mind. Everyone, mostly level twos and higher, hear Mama Beck speak in the back of their heads. Adela follows Mama Beck to speak to newcomers like you. Oh, okay, and you said there's a Father Beck? Father, not father. Oh, you say, not sure how to respond. You're back outside walking through really tall, but really uniformly groomed grass. You walk past some of the teepees you spotted the other day from the parking lot. You can't help but try to sneak a peek into one of them that has its door partially draped open. There's a fire pit that's just barely smoldering, and five feet up, a hammock with what appears to be a person sleeping in the hammock. You wonder how that person isn't dying from the heat of the fire embers. Vaderbeck is rarely seen, Marshall Winston says, and almost no one hears from him. He's too busy. Busy with what? The Druidry would have you believe he's constantly in touch with his true identity. What you might call his soul. Oh, is that what this place is all about? Getting in touch with the soul? Uh, I thought you'd know more than that, seeing that you came here palling around with a leprechaun. Hmm, well, I don't. Marshall lets go of your hand. You admit to yourself that you like the physical contact, the physical touch. He pushes on a swinging door on what looks like a cheap portable trailer. You walk into what clearly seems to be an AA meeting. There's a dozen or so people sitting in a circle on cheap folding chairs. There's a stand in the corner of the room with a coffee jug. Every single person around the circle is holding a styrofoam cup. 
Hey, Volva. This is Jennifer. She's here to get temp level one status so she can attend tonight's thing. Well, of course. Mama Beck just let me know you were coming. Please, Jen, have a seat, the woman Marshall Winston called Volva says. You can't help but think that Volva's skin tone has a hint of blue in it. Besides that, though, she looks normal enough. You take a seat next to a large and in-charge Russian babushka woman on one side and a large and in-charge Mongolian lady on the other. You feel dwarfed by the severely strong heroines flanking you on either side. Hi, Jennifer Firth. Let me catch you up, Volva says. This is a quick micro-study so that everyone here can be granted level 1 status so as to be able to witness tonight's events. Please, grab a cup of tea. It'll help calm your nerves. So the coffee wasn't coffee. It was tea. Okay, you think? You like tea enough, and you prefer to keep your coffee drinking in the mornings anyway. You grab some tea from the back and return to your seat. A suntan, cool-looking kid, the type of person who ten years ago was the captain of the football team and still tries to get by on that persona, spoke up. I'm here because I'm a bad person. I don't want to be a bad person anymore. The tea tasted pretty good. It sure went down the throat easy. It tasted like roses baked in sugar. Sweet, light, fragrant, and slippery. That's how you describe the tea to yourself. You've never tasted anything quite like this. You figure they probably make this stuff here at the center. That's why it tastes so good. It's fresh. I want to see things. The middle of people. Their insides. I hope the center cures me of that. If you stay with us, you very much will, says Volva. Others shared shortened little testimonies themselves. Apparently, people tended to come to the center, as Volva and others shorthandedly called the place, because they needed help. The center was turning out to be some sort of mystical self-help asylum. You take note that almost everyone takes spontaneous turns going back to the jug at the back table and refilling their styrofoam cup. You'd like to do the same, as your cupeth no longer runneth over. You casually go up and do so. Meanwhile, a woman with extremely spiky hair spoke in a squeaky voice. I feel ceramic mugs. Thank you for not having ceramic mugs. I love styrofoam. That's good, says Volva. We choose styrofoam today when we heard you were coming. But why, Lady Lelore? Are you so afraid of mugs? You think to yourself, For this place being so nature-friendly, it does seem awfully odd that they'd use non-biodegradable styrofoam. Haven't you heard somewhere that styrofoam is one of the worst things for nature? Ceramic handles always break in my hand! Any other reason? Volva asks non-judgmentally. My ex broke up with me over coffee! And you were holding a ceramic cup. I'm sure we can help. Next, I'm Jake McBitterson. Everyone calls me Bitters. And why are you here, Bitters? Volva asks, smiling. You've returned to your seat, fresh hot tea in hand. This Bitters was one of these American businessmen looky-loos. I'm a stockbroker. I've had a bad year, a really bad year. Someone told me you guys could help. Bitter shoots you a questioning eye, as if to suggest that normal people come here to acquire special abilities, not to remove already set psychosomatic maladies. You look normal enough. That may be why you caught his eye. 
At level one, you'll be given a name, a work position, and a destiny here at the center. Once you fully embrace your destiny, you'll receive certain insights beyond the veil of the mortal toil. I cannot guarantee that you'll be able to use that for financial success in the stock market and trade markets, but I can certify that it'll help you live your life in a manner worthy of eternity, Volva says to Bitters. I have no idea what you just said, Bitters responds. Volva smiles. That's fine, that's fine. Knowledge comes with time. Volva adjusts her smile from bitters to the entire circle. We require little of you today. All we ask in return for temporary level one status is your trust. You must trust that we are on your side. That's it. Volva says as somehow her smile grows. As long as you accept that we're on your side and your side is the right side, then everything is fine. It's heaven, actually, Volva says now almost in a full-scale cheer. She turns her embarrassingly huge smile your way. And you... What's your testimonial? In brief, please, we'll have ages and ages to dig deep in coming days, weeks, months, maybe even years if you so devise. Gosh, you say. I guess I'm just here to see the leprechaun I came with go through the undo process? Whatever that is, or means. Volva's smile goes flat. That's not good enough. We don't embrace people who are just here to watch. We want participants, not tourists. Her smile reemerges. Try again, sweetheart. I want to solve the world. You blurt out. That's more like it. After three more refills in a weird word association game, you wonder why you don't feel the need to use the bathroom. You stare at the tea. Maybe you've been dehydrated and haven't realized it. I've got some good news, Volva says. How long has she been speaking? How long have you been here? You've all been accepted and are ready to be given your temporary level one status. You'll stay at the center tonight. And tomorrow, start level one orientation and speculation. Understood? Yes! Everyone says in unison, including you. How did you know to do that? Volva starts calling out names. People stand up, walk to where Volva is now standing, at the center of the circle, and Volva, from somewhere, pulls out a hard, round pin with each person's name and the declaration, Temporary Level 1 Status. You can't believe it. For one, these are real, hard metal pins, like the type that presidential candidates have their followers wear. How did the center get these made so fast? And Volva, she seems to be pulling these pins out of thin air. She raises her hand into the air, and with some weird flick of her wrist, some sort of sleight of hand, she pulls down the person-specific pin. How was this happening? In some way, you reckon, this is far weirder than the beheaded witch and the evaporating mist. It was utterly mind-boggling. Are your eyes playing tricks on you? You wonder. You look down at your tea. The milky-colored rose sugar water is spinning slowly counterclockwise. You lower your face to stare at the tea. How is it doing that? Wait, is it, is it speaking? You raise the cup up for closer inspection. It's whispering to you, isn't it? What's it saying? What's the message? 
the one who was formerly known as Jennifer Firth. Please come and receive your acceptance. Volva says at you. You forget about the cup and walk to the smiley leader. Left hand up, flick of the wrist, and now a pin. Your name has been chosen. Nevermore are you Jennifer. Now, here at the center infinitum, your name, level one and beyond, is Neime. Do you understand? I do, you say, smiling for some reason. Do you accept? I do. You hear cheering, but no one around the circle has their mouth open. You find yourself at the amphitheater. It should be cold. It's the middle of winter, after all. But it's not. You feel very warm, in fact. Your spot in the amphitheater is less than pristine. It's midnight, and the ceremony is beginning. You're so far away, you can barely see the massive stump at the center from which the tree grows. As it turned out, seating was based on level. I say seating, but everyone stood for the whole thing. Level 7s, which were made up of just Mama Beck and Fodder Beck, stood on opposite sides of the tree, just a few feet away from the epicenter. Fodder Beck was not much like Mama Beck, except, you surmise, that Fodder Beck looks to be of Indian heritage just as Mama Beck is. But besides the ethnic similarity, you are hard-pressed to see a resemblance. Fodder Beck stood crutching not one, but two canes, one for each hand. He very well might have been just as tall as Mama Beck, but he leaned so heavily on the canes it was hard to get any sense of dimension. And most remarkably, while Mama Beck was humongous in every physical way, broad-shouldered, big-hipped, and bow-legged, Father Beck appeared horrendously emaciated. He was mere skin and bones. Maybe with some meat on him, he'd have the same blooming cheeks that Mama Beck shined with, but it was impossible to tell the way he presumably refused to nourish himself. The next ring of witnesses were the level sixers. They all wore long red capes with hoodies. You can't make out any of their faces. The level fives all stood on wooden stilts. Literally, they stood on wooden stilts. It looked uncomfortable, not to mention a little goofy. Another row back, in a good measure higher so as to be able to see over the stilted ones, were the level fours. They wore all brown hoods and capes. You surmise that the old men greeters you saw the first day in the parking lot were of this level. Looking about, you can't help but feel compelled to want to be a higher level. Level one sucked, and worse still, you were temporary level one status. That meant you were a full section behind the actual, true level ones. Naime, the person next to you says. It's the guy who was named Bitters, the stockbroker. His pin says his name is Fimifang. Naime, you realize that's your name now. He's talking to you. Yes? Fimifang? How many people do you see here? You start counting. You guesstimate that there's probably roughly 50 or so people per level. Six major levels times 50. I'd say somewhere around 300. You take another sip of the tea. There's a level two old woman going around with a jug filling up all the temp level one styrofoam cups. Uh-huh, yeah. And how many people have long years? What? You say bewildered. At first, you don't see it. You stare, and you stare, and you stare, trying to make sense of Femifang's words. Ears? What ears? You down your tea. It's not so hot anymore. More tepid than anything else. The level two woman spots your empty cup and moseys over to fill it. You sip again. Things start moving down in the center. You see your friend, the leprechaun, appear. He's on the tree, and the goat. The goat he showed you this morning. It's in the tree, too. Is it... is it levitating? You take another sip of the sugar rose water. Yum. It's good stuff. Then you see, between every regular person 
And there's two or three long shadowed rabbit eared witnesses. I see them, you say to Fimafang. I see them all. Currently, if you click on that tab, a screen will come up wanting you to put in a password. Behind that password is next week's episode, ready for you to listen to. So, what's Solve the World Society? What's this all about? There's tons of things I'd love to do. I'd love to do artwork for Solve the World. I'd love to do things like character profiles. Since day one, I've really wanted to have maps of Magical Kingdom and maybe a map of the new Druidry Center, like old school style done. But A, I'm not a visual artist, and B, I don't have time to do that. So, I'm creating this society as a way to engage with those of you who want to step up and emerge yourselves even more in the Solve the World universe. So, here's what I'm asking. Create some sort of fan art that can be drawings of Jennifer Dash and other characters that can be character profiles. That could be plot synopsises. One thing I've never done, I've never actually gone through and summarized in like a paragraph every episode. Or something I'd really like to do is to have a character profile page where I have a picture of every character or a drawing of every character and a brief description of them so that, you know, people can go to the website and get refreshers about who all the cast characters are. But again, these are things I can't cover. So if you're willing to do any of these things, you'll get access to Solve the World Society, which right now will offer you the chance to stream next week's episode now. And I plan to keep it current so that every week you'll have another new episode. So in summary, here's what you do. Create some sort of Solve the World art. Send it to my email. That's dantestack at gmail.com. I will then immediately send you this week's password for Solve the World Society. So as soon as you do that, you can listen to episode 42. And then I'll also add you to my Solve the World Society newsletter, which will go out every week. And and in that, we'll be sharing all the new fan art, hopefully, that you guys produce. But in order for this to work, in order to in order for this little Solve the World Society project to work, it's on you guys to create something. Help make Solve the World bigger, broader. Help make Solve the World bigger for the imagination and contribute. By the way, for those uninformed, all music and sound effects used in this episode and every episode of Solve the World can be found on our show notes page at DanteStack.com. Thanks, see you next week, or sooner. Hello, I'm Will Clark from Fort Worth, Texas. I've listened to all 100 episodes of Jen's story. Jennifer Dash has become Naime at the center near Newgrange, Ireland. We've got to walk this path with her now, for there's so much to take in. Come with Jen. Fall deeper and deeper down the spiraling levels of the Druidry Center. Find out what truth there is to be uncovered. And get out while you still can. <laughs>